All right, this is the QTR Podcast. Today is February 13th, 2022, although I think I will be releasing this on the 14th. Uh, which is great because, you know, there's supposed to be an emergency Fed meeting tomorrow, and I'm going to try to talk about what I think is going to happen, what I think should happen, uh, but at this point, probably it will have taken place. Doesn't really matter, folks. We're rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic at this point, uh, so those little details, the minor details, what are you going to hike 25 basis points? Big fucking deal. You know what? It's not going to change the cost of tea in China, right? Is that the old expression? Doesn't change the price of tea in China? Anyways, this is the QTR podcast. First and foremost, I want to shout out my patrons. Patrons are the people that make this podcast possible. They sign up and donate a monthly recurring sum to help support the podcast. I'm going to shout out my patrons, and then we're going to get on with the show. First and foremost, I want to thank my exclusive gold and silver providers over at JM Bullion. JM Bullion is the only place I buy my gold and silver bullion. They have been in business for a decade now. They've done over $3 billion in sales, and QTR podcast listeners have their own representative there that they can reach out and talk to, the lovely Laura, L-A-U-R-A, at jmbullion.com. Shoot her an email. If you don't want to look online, uh, you know, if you don't feel comfortable with ordering gold and silver bullion through the mail, Laura can help you with all of your questions. She is fantastic, and I love JM Bullion. They turn my orders around quickly. The customer service is great. Good to go. This podcast also brought to you by my friends over at Doomberg. Doomberg, one of my favorite Substacks to read, one of my absolute favorites. Uh, and I had a great interview with Doomberg recently, too, on my blog, Fringe Finance, which you should check out. Um, Doomberg's Substack is 100% free to read. They take a nice skeptical look at markets, uh, kind of from a conservative school, from an Austrian uh, standpoint, from an Austrian lens. I obviously very smart, very experienced, um, and it's 100% free to read. So check out my friends over at Doomberg. The link to that is in my podcast description. This podcast also brought to you by my friend George Gammon over at Rebel Capitalist Pro. George has teamed up with Lynn Alden, Chris McIntosh, Brent Johnson, and a bunch of other really smart people to bring you Rebel Capitalist Pro, which is a platform focused on helping you preserve wealth in a world of -of out-of-control central banks. And that is what George talks about ad nauseum. He does videos every day. He does question and answer sessions, live Q&As several times a week with his experts. There are great model portfolios and premium reports on Rebel Capitalist Pro. I love the forums. One of my favorite places to kind of hang around and steal other people's ideas. (laughs) If you want to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro, the link is in my podcast description. This podcast also brought to you by my friends Sang Lucci and Wall Street Jesus, proprietors of the Steam Room, the OG piece of software. If you're going to track options flow, if you're going to read tape, if you want to know where the money is going in the options market, which oftentimes can precede moves in the equities market, the Steam Room is the piece of software that you need to have. It is a beautiful, aesthetically pleasing, extremely functional piece of software that these my two buddies here have been working on for the last decade, improving it. Uh, you know, they have a wonderful community at Sang Lucci, uh, Wall Street Jesus, one of the originals. Uh, the OGs when it comes to tracking options action. Now everybody has, you know, tracking unusual options activity. You see the word sweeps out there, option sweeps? That was a Wall Street Jesus original. Original. He was saying that shit back in like 2012 when nobody even knew what it was. He coined the term. He came up with it and coined the term. And now it's like industry standard. So that's how OG these guys are. 
You can check out Lucci, George Gammon, Doomberg, JM Bullion. All the links are in my podcast description. Uh, like I said, for JM Bullion, reach out to Laura at jmbullion.com. For anybody else, Gammon and Sang Lucci, you want a trial period, uh, you just reach out to them, tell them QTR sent you. They will make sure to accommodate you. This podcast also brought to you by my friends at Corvus Gold, my friends at Investors Underground, Ken R., Chris B., Nicholas Parks, Matthew Zimmer, Jay Mintzmeyer, Russ Valenti, Crichton Titus, Camila Soul, and my oldest supporters, Max Mulvihill, Mark Haywood, Kyle Thomas, Chris B., Darius Kordonsky, Chris Gerard, Sheer Luck, thank you guys so much. Still love you. And some founding members of my Fringe Finance blog, like Kashumba and Randy Carter, thank you so much. Recently, Chris, thank you very much for uh, signing up and showing love to my blog, Fringe Finance. Okay, this podcast has a two-drink minimum. Uh, actually, it's a three-drink minimum. Jeez. Plus, you know, a year of 7.5% inflation. So it's like a 3.2%, 3.2 drink minimum. Just have a few drinks is the point. It's Super Bowl Sunday. So I'm just going to assume that most of you are already having drinks already. I got to get this podcast out of the way today so that I can also go and fulfill my drink minimum requirement as well as my one football game requirement for the day. So I'll be happy to do that. Um, I am not an investment advisor. This is not investment advice. I hold no licenses, no registrations. This is not a solicitation to buy or sell any securities. And quite frankly, I would like you to know upfront that I have very, very little idea what I am doing. You ever hear the expression, he knows not what he does? They came up with that shit about me. Yeah, I think it was like in the year 1720 or something. Shakespeare wrote that shit at some point. He knows not of what he does. That was a precursor. They knew I was coming along and that I was going to try to talk finance. So they wrote that shit in like Macbeth or something. And now here I am, McRaven, at your service. All right. All right. I guess we'll start by talking about the most pressing issue last week, which was whether or not Russia is going to invade Ukraine. It is what tanked the markets on Friday. And there are two schools of thought as to what the fuck is going on here. Nobody really seems to know. I mean, if you ask, you know, somebody giving a press conference on behalf of the Biden administration, the attack is imminent. But it's been imminent, you know, now for, I guess, a week they've been saying this, and nothing has happened. And in the interim, there's been all of these strange headlines that have come out, at least ones that I've seen, that make me question just how imminent an attack is. Um, you know, so I'm not really sure what to believe uh, I know that on Friday, PBS put out that tweet that said, you know, look, it's going to be a bloodbath. Biden is uh, or Putin is essentially planning a bloodbath and it's going to be, you know, they went into all this detail about how the attack is going to go down and this and that and the other. Um, and the markets tanked, which, of course, you know, was going to happen anyways. This just kind of hurried them along. And we'll talk about that and why I think uh, we're still going to see some downward movement in the markets here coming up uh, on a real scale. We'll talk about that after I talk about this Russia thing. But I wasn't really able to come up with certainty on one side of the Russia thing or the other. All right, look, so they're saying there's 100,000 troops amassed on the border of Ukraine. Fine. Are they lying about that? Probably not, right? There's probably satellite imagery that confirms that, right? And so there's all these other things that, you know, U.S. intel officials have said that, uh, you know, again, that the attack is imminent. 
um, that, you know, I saw one today. Putin is planning for Wednesday the 16th. It's like, okay, you know, like, how do you know that? And by the way, if it was imminent, like, days ago, then why are we talking about Wednesday the 16th again? But then there were some interesting headlines that broke on Friday, too, and this weekend also. On Friday, we heard that um, the U.S., you know, was evacuating uh, its embassy and, you know, some of the National Guard troops, I think, that were in Ukraine were being pulled out. But then there were headlines that the EU was not pulling its ambassadors out of Ukraine, which I thought was interesting. I just thinking to myself, like, why would they not pull their ambassadors out? Like, what intel do they have that is enabling them to say, okay, we're going to leave our people in place? They're obviously seeing something different than we are, or they place a different value on their ambassadors than we do. I don't know what the difference is, but it's one of several interesting headlines that I saw, including, by the way, Ukraine itself, right? President of Ukraine, his name is uh, Vladimir Zelensky. He said on Saturday morning of this weekend, hey, there's too much information in the media about escalation. Everybody's talking about escalation, right? And I keep thinking to myself, like, you know, this guy doesn't seem fucking very worried at all. You know, this is the president of Ukraine saying, ah, you know, there's a lot of talk out there, but we're really not that worried. Which leads me to ask, you know, if Ukraine isn't worried, what are we worried for? I don't know. You know, maybe is Ukraine just delusional? Do they not have the same intel that we have? That, you know, I mean, we're halfway across the world. Is it possible that we know better than they do what the hell is going on on their border? Maybe. I don't know. I'm not a geopolitical expert, you know, just like I'm not a finance expert. On Friday, the PBS report said this. It said, the United States believes Russian President Vladimir Putin has decided to invade Ukraine and has communicated those plans to the Russian military. Western and defense officials have told PBS NewsHour. Two additional administration officials tell PBS that they expect the invasion to begin next week, which would gel with the headlines that I saw today, right? Which is that February 16th uh, is when Biden is planning. I mean, I, you know, look, I don't, I, I don't really get it. You know, I, I don't get it. I, I feel like Putin, you know, I saw a suggestion the other day, like Putin likes to bring things to the brink and then negotiate. And I was like, all right, well, that actually makes a lot of sense. You know, Putin is not an idiot. He is a very, very smart, probably a very shrewd negotiator, probably a no-holds-barred negotiator, probably willing to tap a toolkit of negotiation tools that Western leaders would never be able to use because, you know, they're unethical or whatever. You know, so when I say that he's sharp, I don't mean like, oh, you know, he's he's doing things ethically the right way. I'm just saying he's sharp. You know, he is willing to, and and China is the same way. I always say China is business people. They're sharp, they're shrewd, they're rugged, they're just fucking tough, right? And Putin is a tough dude. You know, he's like a fucking judo black belt, I think. I don't know, I saw this uh, photo of him from a couple years ago putting an Americana on some kid. He was like, he interrupted some kid's judo class and was like putting the kid in an Americana. If you don't know what that is, it's uh, it's like a shoulder lock. And I was like, holy shit, like fucking he knows what he's doing. You know, so he's like a legit fucking like bad dude, Putin. And so, you know, the idea that he is just 
scribbling down on his, you know, iPhone, uh, invade Ukraine uh, and setting an alert for February 16th. And that somehow, you know, U.S. intelligence officials have downloaded his V-card and found out, oh, here it is. It's in his plans right here, right in between order lunch and afternoon nap. It says right here, invade Ukraine. You know, so I don't know how reliable this shit is, but I've just been hearing all these different sides to this story, right? I mean, U.S. intel officials, I want to believe they're right. They have said nothing other than it's imminent, it's going to happen, whatever. But then Biden and Putin take this call today, and apparently I think Putin spoke to Macron on uh, Friday, um, and the talks are of, you know de-escalation and of diplomatic resolution so maybe the idea that Putin wants to bring things to the brink before he negotiates actually makes sense I don't really know on Saturday of this weekend and I'll try to put this podcast out maybe I'll put it out tonight uh late night so that this information doesn't become irrelevant I don't like recording podcasts and not putting them right out you know I have some podcasts I listen to where they're like on a several day lag And it's just like, well, you know, the market crashed in the time between they recorded this and it's come out. And I hate that. Um, So Saturday, which was yesterday, I'm recording this Sunday afternoon, uh, some of the headlines from Saturday, uh, U.S. officials saying some in Ukraine don't share the U.S. threat assessment. Right. Again, Ukraine doesn't seem to be worried. Everybody's predicting war in Ukraine except for Ukraine. Fucking weird. Right. Uh, Here's another one. The U.S. officials say. The United States will not organize citizen evacuations from Ukraine. Okay, so the U.S. is not going to organize citizen evacuations. I don't know if that says something about the seriousness of things. Russian Foreign Minister Lavrov and U.S. Secretary of State Blinken had a phone conversation that apparently... (coughs) COVID. They had a phone conversation that apparently, you know, ended semi diplomatically here's the macron headline putin told macron the west doesn't push ukraine to meet the minsk deal okay so that's like a little uh that's a little hawkish putin and france's president macron discussed speculations on the invasion they discussed getting out of the impasse uh the french officials said we don't have indications from what putin told france that russia is preparing an offensive um meanwhile Uh, The U.S. headlines say satellite imagery showing Russian military in a tactical formation preparing for movement um, and that Biden and Putin's call on Saturday produced no fundamental change. And I don't know if you've been on Twitter this weekend. You know, I saw a video of, you know, some serious looking fucking tanks and artilleries and helicopters purportedly flying through the skies and, you know, being transported on trains in Russia. So there's no doubt that something is going on. You know, if Russia's, you know, moving their stuff around on their side of the border, uh, you know, does it mean that an invasion is imminent? I don't know. Could it be Putin taking things to the brink and then, you know, hey, I'll want to negotiate once we're there? I don't know. I saw the fucking guy's speech the other day. I don't know if you guys saw it. But he and I would play it for you, but it's in Russian. Uh, and so I'm not sure everybody would understand it. Let me see if I can find the transcript. Here it is. I'm not sure when this is dated from, but this is a video from the Daily Mail online and it doesn't have a date, but it's Putin. I've been saying it, but I'd very much want you to finally hear me and to deliver it to your audience in print, TV and online. This is Putin speaking. He says, Do you understand it or not that if Ukraine joins NATO 
and attempts to bring Crimea back by military means, the European countries will be automatically pulled into a war conflict with Russia. Of course, NATO and Russia potentials are incomparable. Okay, this is from a February 8th statement that Putin gave. Uh, It's an answer to a question from the media. Uh, And this is how he continues. He says, of course, NATO and Russia... Uh, potentials are incomparable. This is a translation I'm reading. We understand it, but we also understand that Russia is one of the leading nuclear states, and by some modern components, it even outperforms many. There will be no winners, Putin says, and you will be pulled into this conflict against your will. You won't even have time to blink your eye when you execute Article 5, which is uh, Macron, of course, doesn't want this, he says, and I don't want it. Uh, which is why he's here torturing me for six straight hours. So even, uh, you know, in the midst of threatening nuclear Armageddon, he's got time to crack a uh, slight joke there. (laughs) Tells you the fucking kind of guy he is, right? So, I mean, he doesn't seem like he's been in the best mood lately. You know, I mean, granted, I guess for a guy of his caliber, you have to answer strong-handedly like that. But given that answer, which when I watched that video, I was like, this has to be old. This has to be from forever ago. He's so fucking pissed off. You know, like, are things really on this level? Yeah, it's from February 8th. You know, it's less than a week ago. So who knows? Maybe the guy is fucking agitated and he's ready to go into Ukraine. Um, You know, the the other side of the coin is you get a lot of this um, skepticism along the lines of, oh, this is a distraction. You know, the Western, uh, you know, the, the U.S. intel is coming up with this as a distraction and, you know, nothing really is imminent, but they're doing it to kind of divert away from the crisis we're having here at home, you know, with inflation and with, you know, basically the economy and the stock market about to go to shit and the Fed being backed into a corner, you know, basically saying, oh, it's a diversion because of that. Biden's ratings are in the toilet. So, you know, let's let's have a war or let's uh, beat the drum of war to kind of change the topic. And I got to tell you, you know, 10 years ago. I would have been like, that sounds like bullshit. You know, if we say there's 100,000 people at the fucking border, there's, they're probably there. And if we say, if our intel, our boys, if our boys say they're going in, they might be going in. But that was like 10 years ago. I probably would have thought that. Now, like, you know, the last 10 years, you start thinking about how the deep state kind of operates, which, you know, admittedly was one of those things the first time I heard of it. I'm like, as a fucking conspiracy theory, you know, there's no fucking deep state. There's no puppet master. You know, like we've, you know, now, you know, a couple years later, seeing what I've seen and looking at some of the proposed solutions, which I've talked about at length, like the Great Reset, I can't help but think that there may be some people pulling the strings from the inside. So the, you know, idea that this whole thing is being blown out of proportion to distract from other issues is... is it is a viewpoint I would listen to now more than I would have 10 years ago, though I'm still not sure if it 100% holds water. You know, I started a discussion about this on my blog, uh, Fringe Finance, and somebody wrote in from the Ukraine saying, you know, just don't think it's going to happen. You know, and actually everything, all we're talking about here in the Ukraine is, you know, how big of boobs the people in Washington are. Um, so I don't know, you know, and I, I keep asking if Ukraine doesn't seem that bothered, like, why are we bothered by it? If the EU doesn't want to pull out their diplomats, well, what does that tell you? 
So I don't know. You know, there's going to be a lot forthcoming next week on this front, I'm sure. And probably by the time I publish this, my analysis will be irrelevant. But the good news is it was going to be irrelevant anyways, even if I published it live. So how about that? Um, On Sunday, which is today, the Ukrainian president also reportedly asked Joe Biden and said to him, hey, you can come to the Ukraine if you want and try to like de-escalate things next week. So I don't really know how telling that is. Um, But then there was another headline uh, during the day, two of them today during the day, one out of Germany, Germany's vice chancellor and economics minister, Robert Habeck, said on Sunday that Europe may be on the verge of war. And there was another headline from Dow Jones this morning that said Russians have already started hybrid war with bomb threats, cyber attacks, Ukraine says. So, you know, Ukraine today saying there's war, saying yesterday there's nothing to worry about, saying today Biden should stop by for a visit. Who the hell knows what anybody is going to be saying tomorrow? You know, one of my other friends, and I'm just spitballing here. I'm just giving you secondhand nonsense from people that I talk to. But, you know, one of my favorite stock market analysts that I talk to said to me, oh, I bet that when the kickoff happens for the Super Bowl, the first tanks roll into the Ukraine. And that actually made some sense to me when I first heard it. He said that I think on Friday when we were trying to distinguish whether or not Friday's headlines were legitimate. That actually made some sense, right? You have the Olympics going on. You have the Super Bowl going on. 50 million people are going to be distracted today watching the Bengals and the Rams. And so that's 50 million less eyes on the global news in the event that Russia does you know, start some kind of invasion into Ukraine. So the timing would be interesting. I also couldn't help but notice and pointed out this week that, you know, Russia has been stockpiling a lot of gold. They don't have, uh, as I think they have somewhere between 2,000 and 3,000 tons uh, reported, which is, I think, about a third of what the U.S. purports to have. I don't know how much anybody actually has, but uh, they have been aggressively, um, aggressively hoarding gold. And when you think about that, you know, I wrote about this last week, kind of funny that we're talking about sanctioning them economically when they provide a large part of the energy uh, for a good portion of Europe. They provide, Russia provides a lot of oil and they provide a lot of natural gas. And if they have accumulated a fair amount of gold, they have a, you know, they may have a substantial economic, uh, tangible economic foundation to stand on, regardless of whether or not we have sanctions. Right. We (laughs) I hate it. I hate to say it. You know, I've I've brought this up with China all the time, too. Look, we don't produce anything here in the U.S. anymore. So even though China owns a bunch of our treasuries and they continue to buy them and the dollar is the reserve currency of the world, you know, what's going to happen when the boats stop bringing things over from China? We get everything from over there. And so, you know, does it matter that we have the world reserve currency when they won't sell us anything? Or when the currency doesn't buy anything anymore? I don't know. So then it becomes a question of like, you know, what does a real, true economic foundation look like? And I also put up last week that, um, you know, hey, we're out of control right now with inflation. And somebody said, well, Russia is too, you know. I said, but yeah, but Russia has like positive real rates. I think they have inflation right now at like 8% or something. But I think their their, uh, federal funds rate in Russia is like 9%. 
So, actually, I'm going to double-check that right now. Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> Russia's uh, interest rate, their central bank interest rate, is 9.5% right now. So if they have, you know, 7 or 8% inflation, that's great because they still have positive real rates by, like, 1%. We don't have positive real rates. Uh, we don't have anything close to it. We have uh, real rates of, like, negative 6%. So that puts us on very different economic footing. You know, the stage could be set for them to be able to make this kind of move into the Ukraine and at the threat of economic sanctions kind of balk and say, hey, all right, well, uh, you know, we're just not going to supply any oil to Europe. We're just not going to supply any natural gas. We got enough oil to fucking, you know, turn the furnace on here throughout the whole country and to power the whole country. We make enough goods here, you know, the people of our country are rugged, unlike some other countries, and we can stay the course, and we're going to do it collectively as a country. Look, I'm not a geopolitical war expert. Uh, you know, I'm not the whopper from the movie War Games, sitting there working out fucking 52,000 calculations. The nuclear bomb is going to launch on November 26, 2042. I have found the date for Armageddon after running a series of 22 trillion simulations. That's not me. I mostly just sit here and talk shit. But in my talk shit analysis, I mean, it doesn't appear to me that they would be in a massive crisis if we put economic sanctions on them. So who the fuck knows? You know, maybe the judo black belt is going to go for it. Maybe he's going to go into Ukraine. It could be a shit show. You know, the interesting thing about the whole thing is that if he does do it, if he does decide to go into Ukraine, I mean, it's obviously going to be a major geopolitical conflict, right? The U.S. is already threatened to retaliate with our allies. Um, and I don't know how much of that retaliation becomes physical retaliation and how much of it becomes sanctions, but obviously, there you have yet another shitburger, hamburger patty, another layer to the shitburger. It's like ordering a double burger of, you know, shit news, right? Which is like, hello, uh, happy Monday. You need to either raise interest rates or inflation's going to run out of control in your country. Enjoy eating this double shitburger, right? Can I get a McDouble shitburger? That has now become a McTriple shitburger if Putin goes into Ukraine because on top of the Federal Reserve having its hands tied and basically not really being able to do anything that doesn't result in very uncomfortable circumstances and in uncomfortable uh, consequences on top of that then you know then you got to manage fucking World War three right or you know the potential for something that could escalate into World War III, certainly in terms of a hot war, right? Not a cold war, in terms of a hot war, in terms of tanks, guns, missiles, death, those types of things, this would be the largest geopolitical conflict in a very long time. This would be, you know, this would be a war if this happened, if Russia decided to invade Ukraine. And it's from, you know, these tiny little buds uh, of war that grow much larger global conflicts, right? And so it's not like, uh, you know, Putin and she are going to come out together and, 
announce to the world, hi, we're taking over now and try to stop us. You know, like that's not how the next hot war is going to start. It would start with something small and then everybody on a global stage has to pick who they're with and who they're against, right? All of a sudden, who are Russia's allies and who are Russia's opposers, right? Who stands with Ukraine? Who stands with Russia? It's time to line up on both sides of the aisle. And then we got to, you know, choose two captains like we're playing kickball and everybody picks one after the other after the other until all the countries are up and we've got two sides. And that is kind of, you know, the stage being set for a larger global conflict. Uh, we're not there yet. Russia may never even go into Ukraine, but certainly the you know the drumbeat of war can be faintly heard in the background here. Of course, much to the pleasure of people in the media and much to the pleasure of people in the military-industrial complex. Uh, you know, it sounds like we could be at the very preliminary stages of a track that would take us down the path of war. And that could be a disaster. Because, you know, in the case of a global war, a global hot war, you know, there's some obvious problems. The first is, you know, discomfort. We're going to have to get over that real quick. We're having problems with discomfort to the tune of, uh, you know, if the equity markets draw down 10% from all-time highs, uh, you know, financial news anchors have diarrhea live on the air and have to get up from the desk and run to, you know, I got to make some calls and leave, you know. All right. Well, that's a nice level of discomfort, but it doesn't really compare to the discomfort of, hey, we may actually be participating in a war of some consequence with a country that has some firepower. OK, this is this would not be, you know, getting into a war with Trinidad and Tobago. OK, Russia uh, has got the goods. And, you know, while our military officials are walking around trying to implement new LGBTQ uh, awareness policies and, uh, you know, adopting the first transgender admiral or whatever we're focused on here in the United States with our military, while we're doing that, the Russians are just basically like learning how to shoot their guns better. So it would certainly be an interesting exercise in preparedness. Uh, you know, look, even if Russia doesn't go into Ukraine, I saw at the end of the week last week, you know, look, there's supposed to be this emergency rate hike meeting happening Monday, or not a rate hike meeting, but an emergency Fed meeting happening on Monday. Uh, you know, you you would know otherwise that the Fed would like to use this event as a reason to stay dovish. I mean, they really weren't kidding when they came up with that phrase, never let a good crisis go to waste. Because you know that this is just would be a wonderful like conflict for them to put into their minutes to say, while the board had previously considered uh, raising rates, we can't do it now because of Russia and the Ukraine conflict and what that could potentially bring to the U.S. and whatever. You know, but look, in the event of a war like that, we would have to batten down the hatches. You know, we would want to have sound economic policy in the U.S. And this is the problem with, you know, running these fucking 0% rates and negative 7% real rates and inflation out of control and generally the arrogance of modern monetary theorists, of the Keynesians, the people that have supported our monetary policy in this country. The problem is nobody thinks about a rainy day fund anymore. And let me explain to you what I mean, right? Back in the day... You know, when we went to war in the 50s, right, the country had to batten down the hatches. We needed productivity, 
right? So people stopped what they were doing and they went to a factory to help manufacture bullets. And the government needed money, so they sold war bonds, right? You would buy war bonds and give money to the government because they couldn't just print it, right? And while that made things a lot more difficult to raise money, to raise capital for the war, uh, it also protected the soundness of the money. The money was still backed by gold. So now that we're off the gold standard, you know, the thought process is, well, we can print as much money as we need to print to get as many, you know, F-35s from Lockheed Martin as we need. But in the process, if we are destroying the currency and, you know, in turn destroying the creditworthiness of the country and of the U.S. dollar, then we're already fighting a war against ourselves and losing, you know? We're already beating the shit out of ourselves, you know, like Jim Carrey in that fucking liar, liar uh, scene where he's kicking his own ass in the fucking restroom. I want to play that. Your Honor, would the court be willing to grant me a short bathroom break? Can it wait? Yes, it can. But I've heard that if you hold it, you can damage the prostate gland, making it very difficult to get an erection or even become aroused. Is that true? It has to be. In that case, I better take a little break myself. But you get back here immediately so we can finish this. How am I going to get out of this? there it is the u.s dollar right putin just watching that too just watching us beat the shit out of ourselves beat the shit out of our currency and loving it you know so i don't really know what is going to happen with russia and ukraine but the point is even if they don't go in the u.s equity markets are due for a reckoning you know i wrote a piece on my blog this past week called it feels like we're due for a limit down morning and the point was 
that, and I don't want to repeat what I said on the last podcast, but the point was that, you know, look, it, it has for the most part, and Peter Schiff said this too first. I know Peter, again, doesn't like it if you don't give him credit. Peter said this first. You know, it has for the most part been an orderly sell-off, and I agree with him. It has been an orderly sell-off. But at some point, the market is going to have to wake up to the stark realization that we don't have an exit that is not going to result in discomfort. And when that happens, everybody is going to panic. Everybody's going to want out. Everybody's going to sell their shit. The whole market's going to go no bid. um, And we're going to see some real capitulation. We're just not there yet. It just hasn't happened yet. Um, Of course, obviously, the Russia thing, World War III, would that be a negative catalyst? I don't know. You know, if you ask 99% of the nation, they'd say, yes, that's bad. War, bad. You know, you ask Neil Kashkari, he'd be like, well, we could, have I ever told you we can print infinite money? That would give us an excuse to print infinite money. It's like, yeah, but death, tanks, missiles, guns, bad. You know, we don't want that. Well, it's okay. We've got infinite money. It's like, look, <laughs> you know, it'd be like, Neil, if somebody breaks into your house, try throwing $100 bills at them. You know, is that going to stop them from barging through your front door? And like, you know, there's some like axe-wielding psychopath that is like, you know, just trying to like break into your house. Like, does it matter to him? Does it matter to a guy who is mentally deranged that you're throwing $100 bills at him? Like, no. Okay. Well, what does that mean? It means that printed money doesn't fucking always solve the problem, right? Never mind the fallacies of it being printed, which is just we're redistributing purchasing power that's already out there. Never mind that fallacy. It's just like sometimes there are some problems that money can't solve, right? And that's just, you know, it's vexing for some people. I have a friend of mine who's very well off. And he often tells me, you know, how his quality of life is better now that he has some money. Uh, And he doesn't have to worry about the bills anymore or whatever. But the things that agitate him the most are the things that money can't solve. So I'll get a phone call from him, you know, and he'll be like, yeah, listen, you know, I was at the post office and there was a line and there was a guy behind me and they called on him first and then he got in front of me and I tried to tell the lady that, oh, I just wanted to buy stamps or something and she wouldn't let me buy stamps because she needed to take this guy first and he had a package and it was going internationally and it took 20 minutes. You know, it's like, ah, you know, sometimes there's a problem. You can't just like take out a wad of hundreds and wave it in the air and like you can't fix You know, and I hate to say it, it's kind of stupid. People say like, oh, you can't take your money with you. You know, you got to live now. But it's true. You know, there's there are instances where, you know, look, if you have a child or a family member and you give them a hug, you know, you get a feeling that you would pay anything for. You can't put a price on it. And it sounds cliche and it sounds stupid, but it's true. And so money doesn't fix all problems. We are going to have to get used to discomfort one way or another. And here's the problem. The problem is that for the last 20 years, the Fed has been conditioning people to not feel discomfort, right? The problem is for the last 20 years, we have put into place irresponsible monetary policy because we are too chicken shit to let the citizens of the country feel even an iota of discomfort, even though we have, right? And this is this goes part and parcel with the whole campaign of, you know, everybody's feelings are important. You know, this guy wants to be called this. So we have to legislate that now we're going to call this guy. It's like, no, we don't. You know, we got fucking freedom of speech. What does Peterson say? He says, like, you know, you're right to be, uh, you know, you, you have to be uncomfortable in order to 
you know, have a dialogue about something or something like he, you know, some quote like that. You have to risk being offensive in order to make headway when you're trying to reach, uh, you know, a, a, a solution together or something like that. It has to happen. You know, the idea that you can't, you know, that you can protect people from discomfort all the time is just flawed. It's nonsensical. It's a non sequitur. It doesn't make sense. It, you know, it's a logical fallacy and it does more harm than good because the more you try to protect people from feeling discomfort, the worse the discomfort feels when it finally comes around. And that's what I'm talking about now, right? I mean, you saw Mnuchin essentially shit himself in 2018 when the S&P sold off, I don't know, 20% in 20 minutes or whatever it was. Remember, he called the banks. I know you do. We talk about it all the time. Ha ha. Steve Mnuchin, he, uh, you know, he had a little freak out moment and called the banks. Like, I don't know what the banks are going to do, you know, like otherwise pull up on their Bloomberg terminal and confirm, yes, Steve, the market is crashing. Hi, this is Jamie Diamond. I'm at home. Jamie, the markets are crashing. Let me see here. Yes, Steve, they are. You know, are you still the CEO of JP Morgan? Yes, I am. Okay, well, uh, if I get scared, I'm going to call you again. Okay, Steve, have a nice day. You know, like, <laughs> I don't know what those calls entail, but I remember the headline came out. You know, banks remain well capitalized. It's like, yeah, when the central bank is backing them, I would say so. That's the other, like, big fallacy. And one of the reasons I went long financials in March of 2020, everybody's like, oh, this is going to be a financial crisis. Banks are going to default on loans and this and that and the other. It's like the banks are backed by the central bank. You know, the Fed is not going to let JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs fail. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Come on. So when that started, and lest we forget, COVID wasn't even a financial system crisis problem. It was, you know, it was a different type of problem. It was a virus, right? And it, you know, made financial shockwaves, but it wasn't something systemic in the financial system that was coming down. So I thought that was an easy one. I was like, man, they're backed by the central bank. Everything's going to be fine. But the point is, you know, discomfort now. Mnuchin couldn't handle a 20% uh, you know, drawdown in the S&P, uh, how would we feel if Putin went into Ukraine this week and gave a public statement? Like, you know, Joe Biden can go throw rocks. I don't care what he says. It's like, oh, all of a sudden, well, there's some real discomfort, right? And if we had been preparing our country, stockpiling gold, you know, not running insane deficits, making sure that we were taking care of the country, if we had positive real rates, we would be in a lot better economic footing to you know, posture up on a global stage that we were able to, uh, you know, deal with an issue like that, right? You would say, hey, we got money in the bank and gas in the tank. We're okay over here in the U.S., but that's not the case. You know, we are spendocrats, and we have run up this huge national debt, and we, you know, are we consider spending to be a virtue. We don't really look at... um you know, savings is a virtue in this country. All you got to do is know that, you know, you're losing 7% a year on your money just from holding it. That's, you know, that tells you everything you need to know. Uh, it's crazy because not only do you have to chase to find yield, you got to chase to find yield that's better than 7%. And junk bonds, because we have, you know, royally fucked the bond market so badly, junk bonds don't even pay 7% anymore. They pay like 4%. So you could put your money in the riskiest corporate paper and still have a real rate of like negative 3%. I mean, that's asinine. But the point is, you know, if we had been building up the rainy day fund that I started talking about 20 minutes ago before I got distracted by a shiny object, 
if we were building up that rainy day fund, we would probably be in a lot better situation, right? If we had turned on the oil and gas pipelines instead of shuttering those projects, if oil wasn't at 90, if inflation wasn't at seven and a half percent, and, you know, if our president was sentient and spry instead of, uh, you know, generally in what appears to be some type of sedated haze. Uh, and so, you know, I, I, I don't want to like, say this the wrong way, but I mean, if I'm, if I'm Putin, you know, the, the time looks great to make a move. You know, if I've been waiting for something, you know, now would be, what does Ben Shapiro say? You know, like we're busy studying lesbian dance theory here in the U S <laughs> you know, like while we're over here studying lesbian dance theory, the Russians are practicing shooting their guns. So now would be the time and the place. I don't know if it's going to happen again, even if it doesn't happen, we're going to have to see a wake-up call. Um, you know, rates are going to have to come up and the market's going to have to go lower or we're going to risk inflation running out of control. You know, the idea that the Fed was going to wait till this next print and maybe, you know, they would get some semblance of order uh, in the CPI looking like it would back off, which of course, obviously it isn't. Even if it comes down to 6%, it's still pornographic, right? But it would at least give them the impetus to say, hey, we don't have to cut right away. Hey, we don't have to raise rates right away. And they're already kind of alluding to that on Friday, after the inflation number was higher than expected. So they know that they're jammed into a corner and they're not really looking forward to acting on it any more than we are to dealing with the consequences of it. Um, but I think if you look at, and I'm going to pull up quickly uh, an article that I wrote and I'll read a little bit uh, of it. This was uh, an article that I wrote for my subscribers, but I'll read some of it for everybody now. Um, I wrote this back on February 2nd. So this is a day before my last podcast. Um, and I talked about, you know, that every serious indicator in the book that we can look at from the Schiller PE, which is still about 37x to market cap to GDP suggests that the Fed is going to continue course without interruption. Stocks will likely need to fall well further to even consider a notion of reverting to historical means. And it really... You know, this was right after Facebook had beefed earnings. I mean, you look at this chart of market cap to GDP, okay? And in 2000, it peaked at what looks like 130%, and we're like at like 180% now. Okay, so you're talking another 20 or 30% lower in equity markets just to get to the peak of market cap to GDP where we were heading into 2000, right? So you're talking... I mean, you're talking an insane move lower. You're talking, you know, the NASDAQ under 10,000 just to get back to the peak of where we were. The mean in this chart that I'm using, and this is the Wilshire 5,000 to GDP. And I wish I could tell you the source of this chart, but it's it's accurate. I got it from somewhere where people use calculators and uh, take these kind of things seriously, which obviously I don't. Um, but if you look at where the mean is, the mean is at about, what looks like 80%, uh, and we're at about 180%, which would mean, you know, to, to revert to the mean, to revert to the mean, we would need to see uh, an over 50% fall from here. So maybe like 55 or 60% to revert to the mean. And of course, after the 2000 crash and after the 2007 crash, we went under the mean. We went to Wilshire 5000 to GDP of 55% after 2007. You know, that would be that would be destruction. That would be a 70% drawdown probably from where we are now. But let's just think, you know, maybe this uh, turns into a 
you know, 50% drawdown to get close to the mean or even just 40% from here. You know, could you imagine the markets have already fallen? They've already plunged 10 or, you know, 15% from their highs. Could you imagine another 40% from here? I can, and I think it has to happen. And obviously, you know, if we get into a World War III scenario, it's going to happen a lot quicker than people think because there's no point of holding stocks up in nominal terms and just letting inflation run rampant. I mean, the Fed has to get their act together immediately. But that type of drawdown from here would really cause some real panic. And along the way is really where I would expect to see the capitulation that I talked about. Um, you know, we would have to kind of see a couple limit down days. We would, we would see some real fear because we would have such a long way to fall that there would have to be some sessions in there. You don't have an orderly sell off, uh, you know, uh, in a 50% drawdown from where we are now, which is already 10% off highs or 15% off highs or 20% off highs. You don't have a 50% drawdown from here in an orderly fashion. So I wrote this week that, you know, I have this feeling that this capitulation style morning will still be on its way uh, and that the CPI number coming in at 7.5% ratchets up the temperature not only for the Fed to not change course but also to act sooner and more decisively. And, of course, after I wrote this came the announcement that there would be a meeting tomorrow morning and I think Bullard's going to be on CNBC tomorrow morning so we'll have to see what that's all about. Um, as I have written about, inflation is the kryptonite that won't let the Fed off the hook easy anymore. There can't be any more Powell pivot because the inflation numbers absolutely have to be addressed. So again, the idea that inflation was going to come in lower than expected, setting up room for a pivot or even an easing of language off the table now. Make no mistake about it, I wrote. The Fed has stuck their foot into the shit. <laughs> it's true. The days of inflation being a mystery that somehow magically fixes itself are over. We're in a situation unlike any situation we've been in over the last 25 years. And I put a chart here of, you know, inflation. And again, just to address something I just said, you know, even if that number did come down to 6% year over year, you know, even if the number comes down to 2% year over year, we have already baked so much inflation into the cake that even if we return to 2% inflation, it's not like we're stopping the problem. You know, we're just decelerating the problem a little bit, but inflation is still running. If we could get that number back to, you know, the historical average of about 2%, we would still have a problem. If, you know, tomorrow we said CPI came down to 2%, of course, everybody would cheer and the markets would rally because everybody would figure that the Fed's going to ease. But even 2% from where we are now, you know, inflation has fucking run rampant this year. So anything that's not regression from here isn't helping. <laughs> <laughs> now there are whispers of an emergency rate hike, I wrote. Uh, this was on Thursday, which never happened on Friday. The fact that stocks rose over the last couple of weeks heading into last week's CPI print tells you how disjointed and askew the investing mindset has been made thanks to decades of arrogant Fed policy. And this was the point I was trying to make. You know, over the last couple of weeks before this print, the market had kind of come back. You know, I remember the cues on the NASDAQ. I think we're down under 350. And then we came back up to 368 or 365. You know, ARC made it down into the 60s and then came back to 75, 78. We had a couple of really strong rally days. And, you know, those are, in my opinion, definitely bear market rallies. And that's why I wanted to update this piece. I wrote, either investors over the last two weeks assumed the Fed would let off the gas if a 6% print happened 
or they are just conditioned to think the Fed is always going to have an easy solution the way that they have over the last 20 years. Either way, they and a lot of other people are going to be in for a wake-up when they run face-first into the realization that the only solution here is something the Fed has desperately tried to avoid for the last 30 years, discomfort. And the thing about discomfort is, the longer you put it off, the worse it's going to feel. And again, this was before the Russia headlines. I'm writing this, okay? Now we have to give back the gains of the last few weeks and then resume plunging, right? So if we're talking about another drawdown from here, you know, we have to give back this last little mini rally and then keep going under that, right? That'll fuck some people's psychology up, some buy the dippers that have only seen stocks go up for the last 20 years. That's going to really like blow some minds. You thought Kathy Wood was, you know, genuinely befuddled as to why her stocks were going down then? Wait until she sees some shit like that. Now we have to give back the gains of the last few weeks and then resume plunging. This caught the market by surprise, even though it shouldn't have. And I conclude, I won't be stunned to wake up one morning and see capitulation now that the only solution becomes even more visible to market participants. Will you be surprised? And, you know, hopefully you won't be. Hopefully you'll be positioned accordingly. Um, You know, again, not financial advice, but I can't help but think that we are uh, walking a very fine line here. We're walking a tightrope, and all of a sudden, we were already walking the tightrope, and now Vladimir Putin is at the bottom, kind of, uh, you know, launching spitballs at us through a straw, trying to get us to lose our focus and fall off the tightrope. So I'm glad that uh, I have exposure to gold, and I'm glad that I have exposure to oil and defense stocks. You know, if you read my blog, I've been talking about Lockheed Martin, for a while is one of my favorite stocks. Uh, you know, that's had a great start to the year. It's up 11% this year, I think, um, and has uh, has been great since I pointed it out in uh, around the $350 area. It's close to 400 now. I think it almost tapped 400 on the Russia headline Friday. Love those defense stocks. Generate a ton of cash, basically subsidiaries of the U.S. government. Uh, you know, they're the first ones to get the money when it comes off the printing press. Uh, they pay a dividend. They generate cash. So I love those names. I'm in names like that and a couple other names. I have another name this week I'm going to write about, which is actually a, a retail name that I noticed last week that I really uh, I really like all of a sudden. Uh, kind of slipped under the radar, had been selling off, and um, looked at the valuations and stuff on Thursday. And, hmm, this is probably worth writing about. So took a position uh, this last week, and I'll probably write about it this upcoming week. But who knows? Everything's going to hinge on Russia. Uh, Everything is going to hinge on what the Fed does this week. So a lot of things to look forward to. I'll try to release this on Sunday night so that you can get it at least before the market opens on Monday and before all the irrelevant analysis even becomes more irrelevant. All right, fools. For now, I am out of here. Thanks for listening. I will be back soon. Enjoy the Super Bowl. It's already over by the time you've heard this. Fucking weird, right? Bengals win 32 to 16. What do you think? Probably got it wrong. All right, I'm out. Peace.